Hey, New Life Church. Hello, Digital Campus, Arkansas. I'm so excited about what's going to happen today. We're about to go into a whole week of prayer. Some of the campuses are already there. And I thought we would get a Bible teacher, somebody who loves the Word, somebody faithful to this church. We're going to bring in Rebecca Shatswell. You know her. She has taught many times to our church. Her and her husband help lead worship throughout the whole state of Arkansas. She works with my wife and some other ladies over the conference that we have every year, except this year. And then she's over prayer. She's making sure we all remember to serve God and to seek God together. The scripture says in Isaiah, be very careful that you do not worship the Lord with your lips, but that you remove him from your heart. Well, if you've done that, it's not over for you. You can have another chance, but you must figure out a way to get his presence and his word back into your life. And that's why I have Rebecca. She can teach on prayer. She can teach on anything way better than I can. But it's like a gift to our church to have her around. She would never think that way, but she should because it is true. So everybody, how do we start this? Before we get into the word, we're going to get into worship. So let's get ready for the teaching today by worshiping with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Let's do it.
Good morning, New Life Church. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Rebecca Shatswell, and my husband Brandon and I, we are just some of the worship pastors here. And you may not know this, but Brandon and I have been under Pastor Rick and Michelle Bazette's leadership for 20 years now. I am so thankful for the way they have shaped our walk with the Lord and our ability to love other people. I'm so thankful for the leadership that they have given our church. And I want to tell you about two other people in our life before I jump into the message. We have two kids, a daughter, Israel Juliana. We gave her all the letters in her name. She is loving it in handwriting right now. She is six years old. She's passionate. She loves people. And she is what you call a leader. So things are really fun in my home these days. And we have a son, Xavier Zane Kai. We gave him all the names. We loved them all. We thought, you know, God has a lot of names. Why can't he? He is full of joy. He is dangerous. And his number one love in life is trucks, without a doubt. We know God programmed it in him because he will stop everything for a truck. We don't even own a truck. It's just how God made him to be. But before I go any further, I just want to invite God into this message today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are with us. I pray, Lord God, that you would use every word shared this morning to plant a seed in our heart that bears fruit for your name and your glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, I have a buckle up kind of message, if I'm being honest, because God is messing with me right now. And it is in an uncomfortable yet good way, if I can be honest. He's highlighting things. He's bringing things to the surface. And the best way I can think to prepare us all for what God has been sharing with me is to tell you what a doctor told me in the ER the very first time that I got stitches. And that was, this is going to sting a little, but then it will be over. Can something be both uncomfortable yet good? If 2020 has been anything, it has been uncomfortable. But can it also be good? Working out. So I have heard from my CrossFit friends, it is uncomfortable, but it's good. Having a baby, I can tell you, it's uncomfortable, but it's good. Being brave and getting counseling for the very first time because you know you need it. I can also tell you it is uncomfortable, but it is good. And I had a friend recently for her 21st birthday. She went skydiving. She was telling me all about it. It was insane. It was so uncomfortable, but so good. But if I can be honest with you, I'm 20 years older than her. And I thought on the inside, she's already gone skydiving. God, what have I done with my life? But there is something in this uncomfortable year that I think we can all agree on, something we have all been forced to learn. And that is the idea that we are in control is a total illusion. We are not in control. The way I look at it is that starting in January, around the world, alarms began to go off. First in China, then in Europe, and then finally hitting home in March. And we kept trying to hit the snooze button. But those alarms, they just kept coming. And all of a sudden, we realized we are not in control of much. We're not in control of our health. We're not in control of the government. We're not in control of the wounds of our nation, our own paychecks, other people's opinions, or even our own emotions. 
And not only that, but it has been a record-breaking year for natural disasters as well. I don't know if we remember because so much has gone on, but we kicked off the year in January and Australia was on fire for months without rain. They were experiencing insane drought. January 1, Indonesia flooded. Three major countries had earthquakes and a volcano erupted in the Philippines and that was just January. And every month after that, more disasters. We had tornadoes in the Southeaster weekend, the Nashville tornado. They're inventing new words for the storms we're seeing. I heard a fire NATO hit California the other day as temperatures reached 130 degrees. And I don't know if you know, but locusts, Old Testament stuff, locusts swarmed in to Africa, India, and Asia this year in unseen proportions devouring thousands of miles of crops in nations that desperately need it. And because of that and the economic shutdown, world famine numbers have doubled this year. Alarms continue to go off, but are we awake yet? Let's look at this verse, 2 Chronicles 7:14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We're very familiar with this verse. In fact, we've heard it a lot in this season, so much so we might even be numb to it. But my question this morning is, have you ever stopped to look at the verse that comes just before it? Let me set up some context. King Solomon in the Old Testament, he was reigning over the people of God and he started out so well. His father David handed him the throne and he gathered everyone together. He built an amazing temple and he was trying to teach them to worship the Lord with all their heart. So he dedicated the temple to God and he prayed and said, God, by your spirit, would you fill this place? Would you choose this group of people to bear your name? And God answered, He said, yes, I will. I will fill this place with my spirit and I will choose this people. And then he said this verse, but when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We are not in control, but there is someone who is. God Almighty is his name and he is a good father. He did not want us in confusion about the things we're seeing today. In fact, thousands of years ago, he had someone write it down in advance so that when we would start to see the things we are seeing, we would wake up and pay attention. Notice his heart in this verse. He wants to come. He wants to forgive and he wants to bring healing to our land. But he is leaving the first move to you and I. He says, I need you to do four things. Just four. Humble yourselves. Pray. Seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. And I will come and do the rest. Four things that seem so simple, and yet sometimes they can be so hard. I want to spend the rest of the time talking about why are these four things so difficult? So I have a question for all of us. What does it look like to humble yourself? I'm not really sure what it looks like for you, but I know what it's looked like for me recently. 
Several weeks ago, my sister came over to my house and we took my two kids into the backyard to play on the swing set. We had to build a fence around the entire perimeter of our swings. Because if anyone gets in a swing and starts going full force, my son, who's one and a half year, years old, is drawn to them like a moth to a flame, not away from them. Twice he has been punted into the air and landed feet away. So in an effort to protect him from bodily harm, we built a fence. When my daughter went and got on the swing, she was doing her thing, the fence started to come apart. I just needed her to stop long enough that I could get the fence fixed. So she and I had an exchange of words, a small battle of wills, and all of a sudden, without thinking, she just blurts out, you can't tell me what, and then she froze. As you can imagine, a hush fell over the crowd because she knew that I knew what she was about to say. So we stopped, we handled everything, and later I was talking to her. I said, Iz, you talk to me like you're in charge. You're not in charge. You talk to me like you're the boss. You are not the boss. You are the kid. I am the mama. If I ask you to do something, you just say yes, ma'am. Hours later, I was hanging out with a friend. She was sharing things that were going on in her life, and I just felt this frustration building. I couldn't wait to get in my car and have a moment to myself to process. So I jump in my car, and I don't know about you, but I'm a mom of young kids. I would call a few minutes in the car by myself, like one of my top three secret places to the Most High God. What do I mean by that? A secret place is we all have it. We have moments, time to ourselves that we get to choose how we want to spend it. Everyone has it. Some spend it on good things, some don't. But God invites us to create a secret place to the Most High. In fact, in Matthew, he said it this way. Jesus said, when you pray, go in your room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here I am in my car and in my frustration without thinking, I just yell out, God, I need you too. And then I freeze as the audacity of my address to the Lord echoes in my own ears. And I realize I'm talking to God the way my daughter talked to me earlier. I was not aware of how familiar and entitled I had become with the Lord. And all of a sudden I thought, you know, if I were talking to Pastor Rick, I would never start a statement that way. I would never say, Rick, I need you too. Or if I were talking to the president of the United States, okay, do not go sideways on me. Just pick your favorite president for this analogy. Let's stay on track. But I would not say, sir, I need you too. And here I am talking to God most high who sits enthroned above the angels day and night. They never cease to sing his praise. And I had to come face to face with the fact that I was talking to him like I was the boss in our relationship. You know, our kids in kid life ministry, when our pastors teach them to surrender their lives to Jesus, they say, do you want to make Jesus the boss of your life? That word makes more sense in our culture than the word Lord. Everyone knows what a boss is. They call the shots. They're in charge. Everyone gets their direction from them. I had no idea I had become the boss and I knew what I needed to do. So if you're taking notes this morning, number one, how do you humble yourself? Here's the note. Dethrone yourself and draw near. It says in Hebrews, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I needed grace and mercy in that moment. I went home. I got on my face in the carpet, on my face. It just didn't feel low enough. 
And I just began to confess and repent of this attitude I didn't even know had crept into my own life. And I reaffirmed Jesus's lordship over my life right there in that moment. I knew I needed a new image of Jesus. The old one would not do any longer. I didn't need to see him anymore as the friend of sinners or the son of man. I needed to see him as King Jesus, the son of the living God. And I remembered a place in scripture where someone else got a brand new image of Jesus. John, one of Jesus's closest disciples, he went with them everywhere. He saw him in his best and at his worst. He saw him transfigured with the glory of God shining through him. And then not long after that, he saw him disfigured and murdered on a cross. And yet years later, Jesus had ascended. John was by himself on an island and Jesus came to him in a vision. And John was so awestruck, he didn't even know if it was Jesus. He said, I, I see someone like the son of man. His eyes are a flame of fire. His hair is white like wool. His face is shining like the sun in its full strength and his feet are glowing like bronze in a furnace. And he said, and I fell at his feet as though I were dead. That is the image I got of Jesus in my mind in that moment. And God spoke to me. He said, Rebecca, I am the first and the last, but am I your first and your last? And I had to make a quick assessment. Where was God in my priority at that moment? I started to think, what's the first thing I give attention to in the morning after I wake up? What is the last thing on my mind before my head hits the pillow? And I knew my answer. It's either my phone, scrolling, or my kids. So I made a decision to turn right there and to do something different. So in the mornings, I've been getting up and getting on my face and praying through the Lord's Prayer. It's a 35-second prayer. Starts in worship, ends in worship. I feel my own personal details in the middle. I may make it a few minutes. It's not long, but I just want God to have my first. And at night, before I go to sleep, I just start thanking Him for everything I've seen Him do that day. So number two, if you're taking notes, dedicate your secret place. Or maybe even rededicate your secret place. Just like it says in Psalms, David said, I will declare your love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. You know, I think we get so used to coming to the Lord when we need something. We need an answer. We need wisdom. We need breakthrough. We get so fixated on what's in God's hand that we don't pause long enough to look up into the face of the one who is everything we could ever need. And I think God is keeping his fist tightly closed around the answers to this year until he can find a people willing to seek his face again, not just his hand. You know, the word unprecedented seems to be the word of the year. It's, it, people are struggling to figure out how to describe this year. So that's the word everyone keeps coming back to. It just means we've never seen anything like it. And I really think in an unprecedented year, God is inviting his people to set a new precedent. Number three, his presence must become our new precedent. In other words, I don't want to settle for what's in God's hand when I can seek his face. But why is it so difficult in the days that we are living in to do these simple things? Many of us have become the kings and queens of our own domains without realizing it. Why? Because everything is at our fingertips right now. There is a pop song, if I'm being honest, it grates on my nerves. Sorry if you are a fan. It goes like this. I want it. I get it. 
I want it, I get it. They took the sweet little song from Sound of Music, girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes and turned it into, I want it, I get it. I could not turn it off fast enough, but that is where we are. We want something, we tell Alexa and she does it. We tell Siri what we want and she does it. We tell Kroger to click together a list of things for us so we don't have to waste our time and Kroger does it. And don't get me wrong, I am not against these things. I love have it your way. I'm that girl who rolls into the Starbucks drive-thru and they know me by name because I have that kind of order. Sometimes I feel like I can hear their eyes rolling through the speaker. We all want it our way. We've been wanting it that way since before we even had words to express that desire. I'm watching it right now in my son. As I said, he's one and a half years old. He's usually full of joy, but you go to take something away from that kid that he wants and he loses his mind. He used to fall on the floor and cry this heart-wrenching cry that would make you search your soul to see if you had actually made the right decision. But then he upgraded to banging his head on the floor. No joke, so I did what any truly disturbed mom would do. I Googled toddler banging head on the floor. It's a thing. I did not know kids can do it when they're frustrated and they don't have all their words yet. Well, message received. But you know what? Most of the time when we take something away from him, it's literally something that could cost his life. Oh, hey, buddy, you found a knife. Can mama have that? Oh, you found scissors and they're open and they're in your mouth. But because he wants it, he cannot fathom why he can't just have it. We are in a culture right now that is shouting one anthem. Put yourself first. You do you. You don't have to listen to anyone else. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You only live once. You don't have to worry what anyone else thinks, any God, any religion, any book. You do you. You don't like your gender, change it. You don't like your marriage, get out. You don't have the preference that some other book or God tells you to have, disregard them all. You're in charge of you. You define you. You make the rules. Self-help, self-care, self-love. And if you don't believe me yet, our favorite forms of technology all start with the letter I. Our culture exalts self to first place above everything else. But if we are not careful, in the church, we will do the same thing. It reminds me of a place in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. God's people had prospered. They had prospered abundantly. And because of it, their hearts became hard. They began to attribute it to themselves. They quit humbling themselves before God. They quit seeking His face. And this phrase appears over and over again throughout the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And because of this, God lifted his hand off of his own people. He removed his protection and they experienced one disaster after another. Paul says it this way. In the last days, dangerous times will come for people will be lovers of self. So what does it look like in the church to start mixing the spirit of the age with the spirit of God? Well, Jesus said it this way. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must first take up his crown and follow me. Is that what he said? No, he said cross. But isn't that what we want it to say? 
A crown is so much more glamorous. It's authoritative. It's Instagrammable. Hashtag living my best life. It means leadership, platform, moments, authority. Many of us hear the message of Jesus and we give our lives to him. But very quickly, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start fixating on what believing in Jesus entitles us to the promises, the provision, the blessing. We start claiming verses like, God will give me the desires of my heart. God is for me, not against me. And these things are true. But if we claim these promises and our will is not surrendered, we still go where we want, we do what we want. We start to fool ourselves into thinking we have heaven's giant stamp of approval on our lives. When the truth is, we are still in first place. So many of us want what Jesus has to give us rather than Jesus himself. Kind of like the prodigal son who wanted his future inheritance from his father right now so he could leave and go spend it on what he wanted. So what did Jesus really say? He said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. So everyone say this phrase with me. First things first. It is time for us to get the first things first. Did Jesus want to go to the cross? He wanted to set you and I free, but he didn't want the cross. He sweat drops of blood in the garden, begging his father for another way. And then he said one of the most powerful statements in all of scripture, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was God in the flesh. His birth announcement wasn't some cute card in the mail saying how much he weighed. No, his father put angel choirs in the sky, singing to tired shepherds who just happened to take the night shift. He was God in the flesh. He could have shown up and said, give me my throne, give me my glory, let the bowing begin. But what did he do? In Philippians, it says, although he existed in the form of God, he made himself Nothing. He was everything and he made himself nothing. Jesus said it this way. I only do what I see my father doing. I only speak what I hear my father saying. And he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. He put his knees in the dirt to find you and I in one mess after another. He showed up on behalf of a woman caught in the very act of adultery when they wanted to stone her for it. He drew a line no one could cross. He forgave her, he set her free. He walked up to a man covered in sores head to toe that no one would touch. He was so grotesque, he put his hands on him, he healed him. Jesus lifted up the weak, he saw the unseen. He intervened over and over. A few followed, but many more walked away. And yet he was obedient to all his father asked, even death on a cross. I hear what some of you might be asking, but I thought, Jesus went to the cross, so I didn't have to. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That just means that because of our sin, we cannot enter the presence of Almighty God. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death, which just means that one day somebody is giving their lives for our sin. It's either gonna be you and I in eternal separation from our Father in eternal torment, or we're gonna choose Jesus, God in the flesh, fully God, fully human, the only one to make an acceptable sacrifice in our place. 
He was the only one without sin. Do you realize he is the only human who will ever walk this earth that fully obeyed everything God asked him to do? That's why he is called the sinless one, the spotless lamb of God. I don't care what other ideology you're into, what other religion you wanna follow, whatever guru and philosopher seems cool to you, they are not without sin. They have no ability to go before your father and say, take my death in exchange for theirs. Only Jesus. Jesus walked into crowds that should have gotten on their faces in wonder. They rejected him, they criticized him, they tried to push him off a cliff. And he healed him, he taught him, and he set him free. So what does scripture say that God did in response to his son's obedience? It says, therefore, God highly exalted him. He gave him a name that's above every other name that at the name of Jesus, one day you and I will bow, we will confess that He is Lord because that is the reality. The crown doesn't come first, the cross does. The crown comes much later. Jesus said it this way, He who endures to the end, to Him I will give a crown of life. He who endures to the end, that's when the crown comes. And you know what we're all gonna do with it that day when Jesus hands it to us? We're gonna gladly cast it back at the feet of the one who's really worthy. And then point number four, the last thing I'm gonna share. It is time to pick up your cross and put down your crown. God has a plan and he is waiting on his kids to respond to him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are all powerful. There is no one like you. We thank you that even in the chaos and the confusion that we've all been experiencing, you have not left us on our own. You have a plan. I pray you give each of us the ability to humble ourselves in your presence, to seek you in a way we haven't in a long time, and to turn from anything you would bring to the surface in us. Lord God, we want your name and your renown to be the desire of our hearts. We want Jesus to be lifted higher than anything else. We love you, Lord God. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen. Church, let's worship together one more time.
Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for being with us and worshiping with us this weekend. We wanna take a moment to stop and honor God with our giving right now. So many of you have been faithful to give, even though it's been a difficult season. We appreciate it so much. And now we want to give you guys an opportunity to see something really cool our church got to be a part of this past week. Hey, New Life. My name is Richard Eberly, and my wife and I get to pastor the 412 students as well as work with real life students at this church. And we love what we get to do. As many of you probably know, schools are starting back. Some have already started and others are starting this week. And I just want to encourage and ask you to join us to pray for our schools. But I also wanted to share with you something exciting that happened this past week. In communities in our state, we had people from our church as well as others show up to school parking lots and do community support rallies, honking their horns, flashing their lights. Even one school had a radio DJ there. It was pretty amazing. And it was all to support and pray for our students, our teachers, and our administrators. And on Friday, there were people from all around communities in the state showing up to schools, elementary schools, junior highs, high schools, doing prayer marches, holding signs, praying for teachers, encouraging administrators, and covering this school year in prayer. We want you to know we as a church are praying for you. And we know that this year, though it may be different, that it doesn't have to be a bad school year, that actually this could be an opportunity that God has for you to be a light in your school, in your workplace. And I just wanna ask you, whoever you are sitting out there, whether you have a student in school or whether you have a, a spouse that works at a school or whomever you are, would you join us as a church to pray for our students, to pray for our teachers and our administrators and staff? They need your prayer. And, and I don't think that there's a better way that we could do it then every day waking up and covering them as they walk into these schools day in and day out, that God would bless them and that this would be a year, though different, would be the best year that they've ever had in school. God bless. I told you that was gonna be good. Man, worshiping with you, learning the word with you. And now I wanna pray a prayer blessing over you. We've ended every weekend like this since around the beginning of March. So take your hands, open them up, and I wanna pray over you. Lord, I thank you for being with us in the house today. Lord, we love your word, we love worshiping you, but we need you right now. Some of us feel vulnerable, some of us are having trouble answering questions, and some of us can sense the importance of this day. Lord, I thank you for the teaching that we just received but we ask that you bless us to go home with this word. Lord, we're so thankful uh, that you love us in such a way that when we call upon you, you answer, you move back to us. So Lord, this week, give us ideas. Uh, Lord, this week, give us favor with people and with you. This week, Lord, I pray that we can be lenders and not borrowers. And everywhere we go, that you will bless that decision. Well, we thank you for ideas, but not only that, we thank you for your word. This is what we need in this time. Let no one be discouraged. Let them all be encouraged by the spirit of your name. And in that name we pray, 
Amen. God bless you all and thanks for joining us again.